Good morning. It's always good to come home. You can go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 52. And I will say, Rachel and Isaac are here, they're just not here. Seems like sickness is hard to avoid for the little ones. And also, baby boy in the womb is not here either. So, got another one on the way, Lord willing, very grateful for that. Your brethren in Kingsport send their greetings. I didn't know Ob- or I didn't know Luke was here next week, but I know Obi's here the next week. So, I see your scheduling tactics, Kingsport, Kingsport, Kingsport. <laughs> I like it. Isaiah chapter 52 We'll start in verse 1. Isaiah 52, verse 1 says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them, make them to howl, saith the Lord. And my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. O Zion, O Jerusalem, O child of God, hear the word of the Lord. Did you see what it said right here? It said, you have sold yourselves for naught. You sold yourself for nothing. What are we by nature? Slaves to sin, are we not? Carnal, sold under sin. And yet, did you see the blessed promise that he told us here? Ye shall be redeemed without money. Tells us something very similar in Isaiah 55. Our brother just read it in Isaiah 43. Ye have been redeemed. I redeemed you. You're mine. Oh, what good news. Oh, what a blessed promise. I like what it said here in verse 6. My people shall know my name. They shall know. In that day, they're going to know, it is I. I am He. Now for our text, one verse here really caught my attention. And it's where we left off at verse 7. Read it with me. What a glorious verse this is. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. What a glorious verse. Do we know who this man upon the mountains is? Do you know who he is? It's our Redeemer. It's our Savior. It is, it is He, the Lord, our God. He's upon the mountains. Alright? We're going to see that very clearly, I pray. Now, my desire for this message is that God might enable us to get a glimpse of His beautiful feet. I love how that verse is worded. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. 
And I'll tell you this, in Romans 10, it says something similar, but it says them. And it's talking about God's preachers, those who declare Him. He's the one. He's the one with the beautiful feet. Let's look at some scripture here. Turn to Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1, if your Bible's like mine, page 1158 in the Old Testament. Nahum chapter 1. I believe that today we're going to see how the scriptures all go together. If you look at enough scripture, you'll see they all go together. But it especially blesses my heart when you study something and it just all comes together so clearly declaring Christ. I believe we'll see that today. I, I pray we will. Look here in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. It says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries, and He reserveth wrath for His enemies. Verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath His way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. First, who is God? Who is God? I just mentioned, one, He's upon the mountains. But look here, He's jealous. He revenge. He's angry. He's furious. He reserveth unimaginable wrath for his enemies. And yet, as hard as verse 2 sounds, do you not love the very next verse? The Lord is slow to anger. Great in power. Doesn't that comfort you? Now, he will not at all acquit the wicked. He's holy. He's just. He must deal with sin righteously. But know this. He has his way. You ever get upset and just all tore up about life? He hath His way in the whirlwind and in the storm. Now, the reason I had us turn here was the end of verse 3. The clouds are the dust of His feet. That's what we're talking about. His feet. The clouds are the dust of His feet. A body was prepared for Him. Who? God. A body was prepared for God Almighty. And He came here, He took upon Himself that body, and He walked upon the very earth, He spoke into existence with feet, just like you and I have. So His feet knew no sin. Glaring difference. God has feet. Now, now what's the significance here? All right? It makes sense to me. It really makes sense to me for you and me to have feet. We are of the earth, earthly. He came down from above. He's above all. He's heavenly. And yet, not only did He have feet right now, seated on His throne, He has feet. God. Now, if we're going to see anything about the true beauty of our Lord's feet, we must see Him as He is and where He is. Did you see what Isaiah 52, 7 told us about where He is? I think I've already said it three or four times. He's on the mountains. Look here in Nahum 1, verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. See, all the Scriptures, they declare the same glorious person. They declare Christ in His beauty on the mountains. Now, I want to touch on this for a minute. Religion's all about a mountaintop experience. Religion loves to point men to the mountains. But I fear that religion points men to 
mountains and many things, but not to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's all we need. Nothing else matters. We just need to know Him. We need to see Him. We need God to give us faith to believe on Him because Christ is all, all in all. Our dear brother David loved singing that song, didn't he? Christ is all. I love to sing it too. You may not want to hear me sing it, but it's a good song. Let's, let's consider a few mountains, okay? First, Mount Sinai. We know what that is, don't we? That's where God gave His law. That's where God gave His law that declares Him to be holy, just, righteous. Religion will say, look to the law. You better keep the law. Now, yep, you're a sinner, but if you, if you just work hard to keep that law, God will see your good outweighed your bad and you'll be accepted. No. God, tell, God tells us about His law that every mouth may be stopped. Is that not what happens when you hear what God's law truly says? You that desire to hear, to be under law, do you not hear what it's saying? It says guilty. Guilty. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Does the law not show us we need Christ? When you read the commandments, when you read the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you not see your need of Christ? Because we see our utter failure, our utter inability. God tells us we offend in one point, we're guilty of all. It doesn't matter how much good you think you can do the rest of your life. It's too late. It's too late. When we came forth from our mother's womb speaking lies, we were conceived in sin. It's too late. It doesn't matter what we do here, it's too late. Do we see Christ having redeemed us from the curse of that law? Free from the law, O oh happy condition? Pray God has caused us to look upon Mount Sinai and see Christ in our place. I'll tell you another mount. It's a mount pretty much everybody knows, right? Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary. Now, when false religion looks to Mount Calvary, they see a man. I don't know that they see God. I, I don't think so. From the things that I hear said, spoken of, this man Jesus. I see the Lord thy God in the midst of the mighty saving that's what I see. I, I don't see what religion sees when they look at him and they see a decision. Well, that thief, he just decided. No, that thief decided, just like the other thief, to cast the same in his teeth until the Lord did something for him. Until the Lord spoke to him and pierced his heart as he was being pierced himself. That man didn't make a decision. Now, I will tell you this. When I look at Mount Calvary, I see a decision. But not ours. Not mine, not yours, but God's. What did God's Word declare? You know, the Old Testament Scriptures, they declare something. They declare someone. They all spoke to this person, this man with beautiful feet upon the mountains and this glorious event that was going to take place on a mountain. Mount Calvary in Jerusalem. I think you just read it in Isaiah 43, something along the lines of, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That was a decision that God made long ago, long before you and I were ever a thought, right? In our parents' minds. Call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. That wasn't my decision. That was God's. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I'm chief. That was God's decision. You understand that? It was God's decision. Those vessels of mercy afford prepared unto glory. Whose decision was that? That was God's decision. Praise God for His decision. 
Do we see Christ not making salvation possible for whoever will want to do with Him? None of us wanted anything to do with Him. That's why we crucified Him. They said, our blood, let, let His blood be on us and on our children. We're the children. Make no mistake about it, we are the children. Now by God's grace, I pray we're the children of God. If Christ hung there as our substitute, we are the children of God. If we're Jacob, can we identify with Him? Trickster, conniving, <laughs> evil brother. <laughs> O Israel. I love, I love just thinking about how God gave him a new name. Don't you love that? You know, he makes his people to be kings and princes with him. In him, in Christ. On Mount Calvary, I see salvation accomplished. The last mount I'm going to mention is Mount of Transfiguration. Now, I assume religion sees a wonderful, miraculous, mountaintop experience. But if that's all we see... We've missed it. On that mountain, you know, when, when Peter, James, and John, the Lord took them up there with them, and first they fell asleep. And then when the Lord opened their eyes to actually see what was going on, the Lord stood there talking with Moses and Elijah. Do you know what they were talking about? His decease, which he should accomplish, what a great word, at Jerusalem. On the Mount of Transfiguration, here you have Moses, the law, right? Mount Sinai. You have Christ talking about His death, that He was going to die, by which He was going to accomplish their salvation. Even the ones that were standing there with Him in glory accomplished their salvation, and they were already there. Because it was done when God purposed it. We see all three mounts together right there on the Mount of Transfiguration, don't we? And I love this. Peter, bless his heart. I, I, I love studying the accounts of Peter. I really do. I can relate to that man. Whenever we see him do something foolish, I think, that's me. I'm serious. And uh, I think he often had good intention, but like right there when, when he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. The Father spoke. He wasn't going to have that. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. Look to Him. Stop looking to Moses and the prophets. Look to Him. He alone is worthy. The Lamb is worthy of all. They fell down so afraid, and then the Lord came and touched them. He said, Arise. They saw no man. They didn't see Moses and Elijah anymore. They saw no man save Jesus only. When we look to all these mounts, there's a lot of mounts in this scripture. When you look at any page in here, I pray God would enable us to see. And it's not going to happen unless He enables us to see the Lord Jesus Christ only. I don't care where you turn. Whoever Rex is up here Tuesday night, I pray you'll see Jesus only. Luke comes next week, Obi the next week, Jesus only. Week after week after week, message after message after message, you go home, do your daily Bible reading, look for the Lord Jesus Christ only. What's my hope? Him only. No other hope. There's no other salvation. There's no other Savior but Him only. His name, His person, His work, His glory alone. Christ alone. It's another song he's singing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. Now, have we seen where He is? High and lifted up. Have we seen Christ exalted upon the mountains? If we have, Here's what's going to happen. You and I are going to take our rightful place 
Turn with me to Psalm 99. It is important that we take our rightful place before Him. A lot of people suppose, and all of us by nature, we suppose that God is altogether such and one as ourselves. We think God is similar to us or that we are some, something like Him, but we're not. We're contrary to Him. That which is flesh is flesh. That's what we are, flesh. That's contrary to God. When He took upon Him human flesh, it wasn't flesh like ours. He was born of the seed of the woman. Not the seed of man. You see what I'm saying? He's, a, he's contrary to us by nature. He's godly. That's not a term we can relate to. We're ungodly. But praise God, that's who Christ came to save. Look here in Psalm 99. We need to take our place before Him. Look here, Psalm 99 verse 5. It says, Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. For He is holy. God's holy. Where do we belong? At His footstool. At His feet. Look at verse 9 right here. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. We're not up there with Him. I said it before. He's heavenly. He's from above all. We're earthly. He is high and lofty. We are poor and needy. There's a big difference. Turn over to Psalm 137. Or 132 verse 7 rather. Psalm 132 verse 7. Psalm 132 verse 7 says, We will go into His tabernacles. We will worship at His footstool. One, that's where we ought to take our rightful place, is at our Lord's footstool. You know, people think they're just going to dance on up into heaven and just continue living life there like they're living life here, except it'll be better. No. Here's what heaven is. It's all whom He redeemed, seated around the throne, worshiping Him, praising His name at His feet. (laughs) And I'll tell you this, I'm going to make a confession to you. That is all I desire. I, the first time I brought this message was in Crossville about a month ago, and I was there Saturday. A brother, brother Bill, he passed away, and we had a funeral. And Sunday I got to come and bring this message, and I I just couldn't help but think about his life as he now knows it, sitting at our Lord's feet, praising His name, worshiping Him forever. And ever in all those here that I look around and I can't help but think of many who I believe are doing the same thing. And I'm thankful for this life here and I want to enjoy every day here God has purposed for me to have. And yet I must also confess I can't wait to join them. <laughs> Sit at His feet. Turn with, me to, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. There are a lot of accounts in the Scripture where People came to the Lord for whatever reason. There were a lot of accounts where people came to Him because they heard about His fame or wanted to see Him perform some miracle. But sometimes, every now and then, somebody came to Him with a need. And when they did, they often did what this man did right here. Look here in Luke chapter 8, verse 41. 
And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet. And he besought him that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. This man, and this struck me when I read this the other day, he was a religious leader. Usually those people didn't come to our Lord with a need. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And he came to our Lord desperate. I mean desperate. And he fell down at his feet. That's the place we need to be. Alright? Let's go on reading here. Verse 43. I love this text. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living on physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him. The Lord touched the border of his garment. Now look at this. And immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive virtues gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, I love this, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. She had a great need too. And she had to get to him. She was resolved to get to him. And when she got to him, she's pressing through this crowd. She, she faced some adversity. Okay, She pressed through this thronging crowd and she just barely touched the hem of his garment. You think, what good is that going to do? Well, clearly it did a lot of good. Right? And I, and I love how the text didn't just end there. There's a reason our Lord said, who touched me? You think he didn't know who touched him? This is God manifest in the flesh. He knew who touched him. That woman was going to confess why she touched him. We come to him confessing our need of him to save us. Do we not? And did you notice what it said there when she could not be hid? And she came trembling. Verse 47, she fell down before him. She came to touch the hem of his garment. I view that as being at his feet. And then not only that, she came before him and fell down at his feet trembling. Do you see that's the place for a needy sinner? What did our Lord do? He saved her. He saved her. Right here, that man, Jairus, his, his daughter died. We'll read it. Verse, let's go on and read it. Verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Let him go. It's, it's too late. Nothing to do here. Read on, verse 50. But when Jesus heard, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. Look at this. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. They said, She's dead. Our Lord came and said, She's not dead. And look at their response. Verse 53, And they laughed Him to scorn. You know that's what we by nature do. We hear about God and what God's Word declares and we laugh at Him. 
That's exactly what we did at the cross. Mocked him. Mockingly, we hailed him, King of the Jews. Didn't see any power. If you be the Christ, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. He saved others. Let him save himself. That's the point. He wasn't there to save himself. He was there to save others. Read on. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out. And he took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. They're just going to glory in the experience. They're just going to glory in the event. I'm going to glory in him. That, that girl, she died. That woman with the issue of blood, she had a terrible issue of blood, 12 years. There, she spent all she had on many physicians. There's just one physician who's going to do us any good. The longer I live, the, if you're a doctor, I'm sorry, I, I've grown more and more leery of doctors. I just can't help it. Don't be leery of this physician. He heals all manner of sickness. I think there's, a, there's an account where he went out and he just healed everybody. All through the Scriptures, he healed tons of people. But he, here, here's the sickness that we need to be healed from. Sin. That's the sickness. All these other sicknesses are, one, because of sin. And two, this is the sickness that we can't afford to not be healed from because there's an eternal punishment of death. Not, not this one time, close your eyes and the Spirit leaves you. Not that death. Spiritual death. Cast into the lake of fire. Cast into chains of outer darkness. That's, that's the death of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's it. But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord right here, He gave life to these people. Life. And that life can be found at His beautiful feet. Nowhere else. Just at His beautiful... We can obtain mercy. We can find grace to help in time of need at His feet. Pray, Lord, bring us to His feet. Back in our text, Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings. The, the Lord Jesus Christ bringeth good tidings thought of when the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds. Here's, here's what the angel told these shepherds. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine what good news that was to them? Oh, good news. When, when, the, when the pronouncement came to, to Mary and Joseph, mm, I'm sure it was shocking. Best news I'd ever heard in their life. I, our Lord, it says, was anointed to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to them that are bound. Our Lord was anointed unto good tidings. Everywhere He went, every single day, He went about doing good. Here's the point. Our Lord is the good tidings. Good tidings simply means good news. That's the same thing gospel means. There's one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ. There's no good news in this world. I watched a little bit of the news last night. It was terrible. Just, it's always terrible. 
I, I may see a sliver or a headline or something that I view positively, but ultimately, I could do without it. Here's the good news. Christ came to save His people and He saved them. He saved them. Our text right here goes on to say good tidings of good. You first read that, it sounds a little bit redundant, but here's what that means. Good tidings of welfare. Good tidings of prosperity. Good tidings of happiness. You know, we all get out into this world. I I teach a Sunday school class back at Kingsport. It's the, the middle and high schoolers and I've been trying to go through Ecclesiastes because it just keeps reminding us it's all vanity. What you're about to get out and chase, it's all vanity. The things that my flesh still wants, it's just vanity. We brought nothing in. We can carry nothing out. We need Christ. said it earlier. I'll say it again. Christ is all. We have Him. We lack nothing. You know, that rich young ruler, there was one thing he lacked and it just happened to be everything. The treasure of heaven. You come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. That's who Christ is. It's not the treasure we want, it's Him. We have everlasting prosperity, welfare, and happiness in Christ because Christ is that to all of His chosen people. He is these things. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. That word publisheth, it means to cause to hear. Christ causes peace to be heard. You know, everybody, everybody in life, they're just looking for, looking for peace, peace on earth, peace in the home, peace in the country and all that. That'd be great. As, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. We should strive for peace. But here's the peace I'm interested in. Peace with God. And here's where religion also goes wrong. Won't you make your peace with God? Yeah, let us, let us, Make peace with God whom we've sinned against. God whom we hated without a cause. God whom we nailed to a cross. Let us make peace with Him. That makes a lot of sense. No, I need Him to make peace with me. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, Colossians 1.20, Christ, you remember a name that He was given in Isaiah? Prophesied with this name? Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace came into this world not to offer peace, not to make peace for everybody. He came to obtain eternal peace for His people, His elect people, His bride, whom the Father gave Him. And He did it. I just mentioned the verse in Colossians 1. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, I believe it tells us, Christ is our peace. He broke down that middle wall of partition that was between us and God. Our sin separated us from our God. Christ broke it down. He made us one, reconciled us by Himself. We don't have to do anything. He made it. It's done. It's finished. Peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from our Father above. Praise God. His beautiful feet were pierced in order to secure our peace. That's why. That's why. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know, our, when our Lord hung there on the cross and both those thieves were mocking Him, He knew. He knew who His sheep were. I know my sheep. He wasn't known of His yet. But He was in just a few minutes. And He followed Him. My sheep follow me. That one thief whom the Lord saved, very soon He followed the Lord. He followed Him. Because the Lord gave unto him eternal life and he shall never perish. 
While they, while they pierced his hands, no man could pluck that thief out of his hands. That bless my heart to think about. Our text again. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation. Don't you love that word? Now again, that word publisheth means to cause to hear. God causes his salvation to be heard. Who's going to hear it? His sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. We're going to hear. We're going to hear Him. We're going to hear His salvation. Not everybody's heard it, and here's how I know. Many people are still trying to save themselves. They've not heard His salvation. They've not believed on Him. They've not believed on God's salvation, Christ. Otherwise, they'd rest in Him. Look, to him. Look unto me and be saved. Quit trying to save yourself. Look to Christ. He's the author and finisher of a great salvation. Now how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We can't and we won't. But there's a great salvation. And Christ started it. Christ finished it. He did the whole thing. May God enable us to believe on Him alone. You know, when when the Lord put Jonah in that whale's belly, He he caused that whale to spit him up on dry ground and Jonah went marching into Nineveh. When Jonah was in that whale's belly, right before the Lord caused that whale to spit him out, Jonah said, Salvation's of the Lord. Oh, I've been so foolish. God says, Go to Nineveh. I'm going to Nineveh. And then he went to Nineveh and he declared, Salvation's of the Lord. And that whole city believed on him. It's a mighty city. God has clothed his people with salvation. That's what I want to be clothed with. Because all I see, you, you see a suit and tie. Some of y'all are Kentucky fans. Got a Kentucky tie. Maybe you think I look good. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I see sin here. Okay? Wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. From the crown to the soul. Through and through. It's no wonder God's people cry, Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from all my iniquity. All my sin. And we know this great salvation. He has washed us. He loved us and He washed us from our sin in His own blood. Made us pure in Him white as snow. Though our sins be red as crimson, shall be white as snow. That's the great salvation Christ has wrought for His people. Let me ask you a question. Do we see salvation accomplished? Do, do we see salvation to truly be finished? Or is there something, it just seems like we just need to do something. There's something left for us to do. Well, God just waits, needs you to accept it. No. No, He doesn't. His people will be willing in the day of His power. He'll draw them to Himself with those everlasting cords of love. You better believe it. You see, no man can't come to Him except God the Father draw him. Now come to Him, all that the Father giveth me, they shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Come to Christ, believe on Him. Again, the message of Ecclesiastes that I see, look away from our vain selves and look to Christ. The fullness of God. The fullness of the Godhead dwelling in a body. Look to Him. Look to Him. And him alone. All right, our verse again, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, 
that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. By God reigneth. I, I want to show you this. I'll turn to Revelation chapter 1. Let me mention this about our feet real quick. Our, our feet, mine and yours, our feet run to evil. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Okay? Our Lord's feet... I want, to, I want to show you where our Lord's feet went. Look here in, in Revelation 1, verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with the paps, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like wool were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Now look at this, verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Does, does that... His, his feet, fine brass, like they burned in a furnace. Does that make you think of a, an Old Testament account? Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, you remember that, that king? Wicked king who it appears God saved. Cast them into the furnace. They're not worshiping my God. They're worshiping God. Cast them in. Turn that furnace up seven times hotter than it used to be heated. The men that threw up the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there died because it was so hot. And yet the flame didn't touch those men. Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we cast three in there? I see four. And that fourth looks like the Son of God. That's why they weren't hurt. They were, they were loose walking around in that furnace. That's so hard for us to believe, is it not? Is that not so hard for us to try to picture in our minds, these sinful minds? But we understand, by the faith God's given us, nothing is too hard for our Lord. You know, Nebuchadnezzar asked those men, he asked them if, if their God was able to deliver. They said, O king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We know that our God is able to deliver us in one way or another, He's going to deliver us from your hand. He's going to. And He did. He did. Our Lord walked in that furnace. And right here it tells us, His feet look like fine brass as if they walked in a furnace. I love that. I, I say, Amen. Oh, what beautiful feet. You recall when our Lord washed the disciples' feet. I think it was John chapter 13. And Peter said, oh, I should be washing your feet, right? That's what he was thinking. Again, I understand where he's coming from. But the Lord said this. He said, if I wash you not, you can have no part with me. If Christ wash us not, we can't have anything to do with Him. If we're not clean every whit, He can have nothing to do with us. But when our Lord washed His disciples' feet, He took their filth upon Himself. And He made them clean. That's what He did for us, brethren. That's the salvation He wrought for us with those beautiful, beautiful feet. Came down from being upon the mountains to He condescended to dwell with us. That's humility. Humility. Hmm.
consider him. Because he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself in order to save us from ourselves. Our Lord reigneth. Why did he get in that furnace with, with those men? How was he able to deliver them from that? That seemed like a like a this is it. Dead end situation. No turning back. This is it's over. We're doomed. Here's how he did that. Because he reigneth. If if only we understood what that means. The Lord God omnipotent, that's Christ, reigneth. I love that word so much. He didn't, you know, there have been kings that quote unquote reigned. I watched a TV show, I think it was called Reign. There are people in this earth who reigned. Listen, man reigns over nothing. The Lord reigneth. He has reigned, he does reign, he'll always reign. I love this. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's what it says. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Because he reigneth. We don't let him. He reigns. You know, our president... Whoever our president is, they can sign what's called an executive order, right? There's no executive orders here. How foolish. Most of what a president does, he has to have a bunch of other hooligans say, okay, you can do it. Sign off on it. God reigns. He reigneth. We can trust that kind of God, can we? The God who does what he has his way in the whirlwind in the storm. Those clouds that we think are so high above us, and they are. They're just the dust of his feet. I love thinking about our Lord's reign. I'll leave you with this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Read a couple verses here. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Now tell me if this doesn't sound like the one God who reigns, has all power, authority, strength, dominion. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Does that sound like the God you know? The God you're hoping in? Put all your trust in? The God who reigns? All his enemies? Gonna put them under his feet? You know, people... Talk, people like to talk about the devil, right? The adversary. Now, know this. We're no match for him. People think they can just turn their back to him and avoid him. No. It's no wonder he thrives in churches, right? False churches. People that think he's not welcome in their house and he's ruling their heart. But he's no match for God. He's God's devil. And we know that from the Scriptures, but you just think of Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He was probably already dying to afflict Job. And then the Lord let him. Because <laughs> he, He's His devil. He, our God has no, no, uh, no rivals, no competition. No, no one's vying for His throne. Again, in the Scriptures, we see people vying for the throne. And we've seen it in history books and in, the, in life. You know, People want to rule. People want to reign. Christ reigneth over all. Look at the next two verses right here. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. Even death itself is no match for our God. We fear it. We just do. 
Christ died. And yet he reigneth. <laughs> he died. And yet he reigneth. In Christ, we have died. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless, we live. <laughs> because Christ lives in us. And we live in Him. And we shall forever live in Him. We live, move, and have our being. We do now, and we always shall. Always. All things are under His feet now, and they always will be. Nothing's going nothing's to thwart Him and His purposes. Nothing. Nothing. I... I know I've gone long, but I, I pray we've seen His beautiful feet today. I really do. His beautiful, reigning, sovereign, saving, almighty feet. <laughs> pray God would bring us to His feet. That's where we're going to spend eternity. If we're in Him, if we've seen Him, we'll sit right at His feet forever and ever, praising Him. Amen.